Hello, this is Dennis Sanders, and today on Church in Maine, we are going to be reminded that you don't need an MDiv to plan a new church. This is episode 153 of Church and Maine. Hello and welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. If this is the first time you're listening, just a little quick introduction about myself. I am a podcaster and I'm also a pastor of a small congregation here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. Well, the summer is nearly over and maybe you are getting your kids up and ready for school. Maybe they're already in school. Either way, I I do want to offer blessings to your little ones and also to those of you who are teachers as you start the new school year. So today's podcast, if you've been listening to this podcast over the last two and a half years of its existence, you know that I have a passion for planting new churches. Um, And I actually did plant a new church about 20 years ago. I've also been frustrated over the years because I think mainline churches haven't always placed as much emphasis on planting new churches. And maybe one of the problems is that is how we've been planting new churches. Um, one of the things that you notice, of course, whenever a church is being started is that they're usually started by a pastor, and that is should come as no surprise, but that's what we're trained for. And one of the most common ways that a pastor would start a new church, at least in recent, in the last maybe 50, 60 years, would be what was called a parachute drop. And I saw this happening myself um, with a church that was planted in the late 1990s in my denomination in the southern suburbs of Twin Cities. And this is, of course, when a pastor comes to a new community to start a new church. And usually they're supported by a church body, and that person goes, they gather a community of people, and they start this new church. And that's been the way, really, that denominations have planted new churches since probably the 1950s. But what worked in the 1950s doesn't necessarily work as well today, especially when it's there's less resources, especially monetary resources, to pay a pastor and to pay a pastor a full salary. So the parachute drop is not really the best way to start a new church. I was recently reading a report on new churches from Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church, and it was looking at the type of churches that were started a few years ago. And the results, I think, were rather fascinating. There were around 2021, I don't know if it was exactly 2021, it could have been in recent years, but there were around 136 new churches planted in this year. And of that number, 13, which is around 10%, were lay-led, meaning that there was no pastor involved. And the other interesting thing is that there are, of all the annual conferences of the United Methodist Church in the United States, 13 of them offer lay-led church planning strategies. The report actually wanted to kind of stress that importance of um, church planting by the laity. And and this is what um, it said in the report. Empowering and equipping lay people and emphasizing the journey towards maturing discipleship highlight the communal aspects of our faith. Movements like the Good Neighbor Movement, Fresh Expressions, and lay-led church planting allow for experimentation with co-vocational and bivocational ministry. These movements also offer opportunities for lay people to lead, form new faith communities where they are, and live out discipleship aimed towards serving and equipping others for the life of faith. So with all of that, today we're going to be talking to a lay leader, a good friend of mine, who is involved in planting a new United Methodist Church in the exurbs of Minneapolis. Laura Coddington is an Iowa native. She was trained as a school teacher 
And along with her husband, Brent, has she helped plant the St. Michael Community Church in St. Michael, Minnesota in 2020. If you don't live in the Twin Cities, St. Michael is um, an exurban community. It's about a good 20, 25 miles west of Minneapolis. It's a growing community, um, especially a kind of growing commuter community as people commute in and out of um, Minneapolis and St. Paul um, while living in St. Michael. Laura and Brent both have a passion to reach people not connected to a faith community or have had a bad experience with church in the past. And in this interview, we talk about what got her into planning a new church and what she's learned along the way. And my kind of selfish hope is that this talk will inspire people out there listening to this who are lay leaders um, to plant a new church in their community. So with all of that, here is Laura Coddington. so glad to finally be able to talk with you about this because I think new church planning has always been something of, of a passion of mine. And so I kind of want to hear your story and kind of um, how things are going um, with your uh, congregation. Well, thanks for inviting me. And yes, I remember sitting with you and I think the chapel at Plymouth Creek when you were trying to figure out planting at a time. And I was kind of exhausted listening to you and thinking about what that would entail. I mean, that's been Gosh, it feels like twenty over twenty years ago now. Almost, so, yeah. So I never thought it would kind of be now this way. I'm on this side of it, getting to, <laughs> into plant and, and to do all of that. But yeah, so you want me to start a little bit about maybe the why or what we're doing? Or yeah, let's start with the why. Yeah, the the why is really. Um, I know you know Pastor Doug Pfeiffer, and and you know shout mm-hmm. out to him. You know we um he he brought us up as lay leaders. You know almost 30 years ago now and and brought us into that. And we did church camp early on. And Brett and I were just so intrigued leading church camp. All the churches that would send the kids that were on the outside of life and, you know, the kids that were really struggling and weren't really attending their churches, they would send these kids to church camp who never had a church experience. Um, so, you know, worship each night down by the fire. Sometimes it was different for them because they didn't understand what we were doing. And um, that was really, when Brett and I think back, that's when we got the bug for church planting, not really mm. knowing the concept of it or what it was, but like, how do we reach the people outside of church and how do we connect them and, and, um, and just give them the hope that we have in being Christ church together and what it does um, for us as individuals and, and everybody. Right. And so that was really the bug. And we um, actually had joked with pastor Doug back then about, Hey, in our older days, let's, let's, let's all come together again and try to plant a church or something. And, and it was kind of, I mean, we threw that out there a few times. Um, in the back of our heads, it's always been like, how do we reach those that are not connected? Because Brent and I, through where, whether we lived in Des Moines or moving up to the Twin Cities, we couldn't have done transitions in life mm-hmm. without a church family. And for our spiritual growth and just the, the body of Christ that comes with being in a church family, the way you lean into each other and support one another and, and as you know, we have boys on the autism spectrum. And there were times like I thought I didn't know if I was going to make it as a mom or, or was fit to be a mom. And and it was our church community that always leaned into us and, and helped us through those times. And and so as Brett and I matured, um, we felt called, we felt jealous of having this thing called church and a way to grow our faith and to be with people and to develop relationships in Christ with people and to reach others. And we felt like we needed to share that. And then um, ironic, ironically, our most of our church life as adults, we were in um, church plants that were 20, 25 years old, like churches that were not very old. So we've always experienced kind of church plants when they go and then they kind of plateaued a little bit too in, in figuring out their calling once they get to a certain stage. And so we have always been curious about it. Um, it didn't kind of come at the time of life that we were really wanting because we're both not really retired. So 
in our lay leadership, we said, hey, that's going to be something fun. Let's try to retire early, both of us, and do that in our afterlife or what or what have you that way. Um, but we were part of the um, United Methodist Church, and our church in Maple Grove went through a plateau. We were all very honest about it. We had a third party come in and, and dissect our church, really look at the things we needed to do to improve. And a lot of that was, you have a lot of leaders here, too many. You need to be planted. You need to reach out. You need to go and grow and, and share it. And um, nobody was really stepping up, but Brent and I kept going, oh, we've had this urge forever. It's not our time. Um, you're, you know, we're neither one are retired yet. And, and, um, but is it time? And so we played with it, um, embraced it. Um, in the United Methodist Church, we have uh, what's called a conference, which is really just a region. And you, and you're familiar very much so, but just in case there might be listeners who are not. And, um, you know, there's a process and we're not called Methodists for no reason. There are methods to everything we do. And so we went through the processes um, and we're blessed by our, our, our peers and those we needed to be to look at that. And so, but we knew we had to be in community. So we moved and it wasn't far. We moved, you know, 10, 11 miles um, northwest to an area that um, the Minnesota Annual Conference has tried to plant, but it's been a tricky area. It's, it's a low Protestant area compared to most regions around the metro. Um, but we were up for a challenge. We're still up for a challenge and we do have challenges ahead. So I just want to preface anything else that I would share going forward. Um, we are not perfect. I am a reader. I love to learn. I'm a teacher. I have my master's in education. I will forever read textbook after textbook. So I might talk textbook talk, can share the lingo, but I am not perfect. We're not perfect. And we're not doing everything that I will say. So, and I'll try to share that, you know, there are things we're still working on and that pitfalls and where we have to go still. So, so tell me a little bit about the area that you are planning the church in. Um, and that is in St. Michael, which is yes. a community west of the Twin Cities. What is it like? How would you describe St. Michael? Well, um, having been born and raised small town, Iowa, to having most of our adult life, though, be urban city life, and we love city life, um, we had to just go back to, it's not rural out here, but to us, it's rural, because <laughs> we're, you know, we're not totally attached to the metro yet, but we are in a way. And so learning that culture again is a little bit different. But the thing that's neat about this part of the of the metro area, outside the metro area, is we have affordable housing for young families. And so we have lots of families and actually, you know, I haven't looked at our demo demographics, you know, in the last year, but we use a resource that if others may be familiar with or could use, I'll put it out there. It's Mission Insight. Mm -hmm. It's non-denominational. You can access everything to know politically where people are, what kind of churches they're looking for, what their family lives are like, what their values are like. It's it's a plethora of resources, um, sometimes too much. But this area, I will tell you, um, is 80%. Of, of the population are young families. And we have one of the highest school-age populations in the entire state. So that means we have young to middle young families who have school-age kids and they're busy. They're very high millennial. Um, and I'm not saying that in a in a labeling way, but that's just the population. Um, so that means they're really focused and they love their families. And families are first and taking care of them and bringing them up and um, is their priority. So sometimes snagging them for extra work is a real challenge. I'll be honest, that's a challenge we have in this community. Um, but the thing about St. Michael is it's a strong German Catholic community. And I mean that in a very positive way, really mm -hmm. strong family roots, community roots, um, and are ingrained here. And, 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 and it's important for, um, you know, we don't have a high, if you look at where we border at Seago, Hanover, um, Albertville and Rogers. And, um, and so we can do all of our shopping in those areas. We don't have a lot of shopping in St. Michael, However, we're the largest city in that area of those towns. And um, hmm. and a lot of it is, you know, people like that small town feel. They like that knowing someone when you go to this grocery store or or all of that. And so, um, and I think families are attracted to that. They want to have people they see in community and know in community. So it's really, it's a blessing and it's neat for that. But it's a challenge because then there is a piece that isn't always super welcoming to outsiders and people new moving in. And because of the growth the last 20 years of new families, it isn't the old St. Michael that some of the people that were born and raised here know, and they'll tell you that. Um, some embrace it, some don't. It's really just having new people is the thing, right? Um, so it's hard connecting with people sometimes because 
it's all these young families. They're busy. Um, the culture I feel like is pretty healthy. I would like to see it more diverse and mm -hmm. we're finally getting apartments. So we're seeing some diversity and in income coming mm -hmm. in. Um, and the schools always rank really high. Um, and that's a good thing. And, but what is challenging is that, um, just as you know, reaching people, you have to meet people where they're at, right? And so sometimes in certain cultures, you have certain educational cultures too. So we're finding families who are feeling disenfranchised in their educational means in the schools. Um, so one of our lead-ins, and, and you know with the autism background, our first in in the community four years ago was we did an um, autism support group. We found after researching that there was not a lot of support for families with kids with special needs and then specifically autism. So we're finding our nooks and crannies. Um, there's lots of positives, but there's a lot of challenges, I think, for family that families that are not your typical family, families that might have um, have financial challenges, families that have kids with special needs, um, just all sorts of the, sorts of things, you know. Um, and so, and I try. I always keep an eye out for our ethnicity look here in town and where we are. And you know, we're we're three three percent people of color out here um, which mm -hmm. you'd expect and actually i mean when i see that in the data but then when i'm going to the grocery store i feel like we're getting more diverse than i like that so i'm anxious to go back and see where we are even in the last two three years um but um and that's not to say it's bad because we don't it's just it's who we are right and it's farming mm -hmm. outside of us and and there's not good transportation for people that come here of i'm thinking of elderly our elderly population um, I don't see, you know, we're not, you know, there is some of that of the of the families that grew up here, but um, but I'm just anxious to see how we grow with that too, because there's a need going to be need for that and and public transportation, I think, down the road more than what we have. So, so that's a little bit about our about our culture. Is that does that helpful a mm -hmm. little bit? Yeah, and so one of the interesting things about going out and planting is that. Um, I think traditionally, and especially I think in, in a, a, a mainline context, but even in, in some evangelical contexts, it's usually been someone that's been ordained that as a pastor that goes out to plant. And I know that neither you nor um, Brent, your husband, are ordained. Right. However, you are also ministers. So kind of can you explain that background? And, yeah. And how does the, the church work with that? Well, yeah, th that was our goal. So Brent and I wanted to be a like, I'm not bragging. <laughs> We're not trying to be boastful, but we felt a need to leave a legacy for the Minnesota Annual Conference for our United Methodists, because in the past, we used to just kind of plop in about amount of money, transfer some people to help start this church and just go. Um, we've done a lot of, I am so proud of the work that the Methodist Church has done in Minnesota and the Dakotas in our planting models. So, you know, for, I would say maybe 10 years or so now, we've rolled out a model where it's, it's not just, we're not going to throw you in this community here, go for it. You have this money to last so long, what are you going to do? Um, we have to earn our money. So we have benchmarks. Um, we have goals. We're accountable. I meet with a district superintendent and um, the director of church development monthly in what we call a stakeholders report. You know, they're watching us, making sure we're connecting with people, growing, and then we we can get money in certain increments. But we're trying to be um, just be good stewards. We, we want to be a self-sustaining church. We don't want to rely on something as a source. We want to just bring up disciples and and have disciples who want to be good stewards and and give to the church if they want to to, to keep us self-sustainable as we sustainable as we grow. Um, so. What we felt was missing was when we put church planners out there to plant, it's often just a pastor all alone trying to find leaders figured out. And Brent and I, throughout our entire married life of almost 31 years now, we've always been lay leaders in our churches. Mm -hmm. And you know, being a disciples of Christ person and Brent and I were, were that for a large portion of our married life. Um, they just do that naturally. You know, they look at the minister as or the, the minister more as a pastor, and then we're all ministers in what we do in our work, right? And we... You know, and when I was in the Disciples of Christ Church as a layperson, I was an elder and I could do the words of institution and share communion with people. Um, and that isn't anything against United Methodist Church. Um, it's just how denominations are different. But it does um, lead us in a way differently as lay leaders to have our hands tied a little bit, but yet not. They blessed us. Um, we said we want to be a model of where we have the two lay leaders with all of our lay experience. Um, Brent brings lots of finance you know, backgrounds. We both have brought lots of teaching backgrounds. We've 
directed youth groups and church camp and I had the education side. We thought, and I'm the geek. I know you're, you like to geek out too. And, and I'm the geek. I do our website. I do social media. I like to do that stuff. And we thought, let us be the ones who lift up a pastor. We thought if we can be a lay led plant, bring in a pastor that can just focus on those things of developing relationships, discipling people and helping to, to grow the church. That way we could do the nitty gritty, what I call some of the dirt work and the under, under behind the scenes work. Um, that was our goal going into this plant from the very beginning, even when we conceptualized it in our heads 30 years ago with Pastor Doug, you know, thinking of him being a pastor and we'd pour in. So we wanted to pour into a pastor, but you know, Dennis, the way um, seminaries are today. I mean, people are not going into ministry. Um, we were we, we prayed for someone to be in this community. And um, and so we've worked, we've worked through some things trying to find the right pastor, but we're still, you know, we're still holding space for that to happen. Um, but we also know planting a church is hard on families. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of work because it is more than whatever you think your salary hours are. You're going to be putting in an extra because as you develop your 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 crew, you're going to have to shepherd them and still always be, we have to always be reaching out. So um, so that's the model we wanted. Um, we're four years into actually being a church plant and it's not the model we're turning into. And so I did go back through the United Methodist Church, and I did become a licensed local pastor so I can do the sacraments because our people need someone to shepherd them. I need We need someone to marry, love them, baptism, bury if we have to, and, and to be able to just to share the Lord's table with them is just a, 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 an incredible thing. And, and um, so so that's where we're at now. So I did become, you know, get my licensed local pastor so I can do that. Um, our model is, we're going to say, isn't necessarily always changing because we need to be bringing up those next leaders and, and all of that. So our model is really now, yeah, we have pastor, but we're, we're going to still be bringing up these leaders and trying to, to help people disciple. And that is, I guess I should say the core of our DNA, Dennis, from all of our churches we've been at is we want to see good discipling. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been in churches that have gotten comfortable and for lack of any other word and not to be offending anyone, um, you kind of can get this country club mentality, like, we're our church. We take care of ourselves well. We're going to have the coolest worship center or a carpet or whatever it takes. And we're going to love our people well. And they, we have been blessed to be in churches that loved us so well. But then we saw churches get stuck and forget about outside the four walls. And like, how are we really doing the Great Commission? Because I personally can't do church if we're not doing the Great Commission. Hmm. So that's a little bit about kind of where we're at in a different model, I think. <laughs> and, you know, what have been the, the because you talked a little bit about hopefully, you know, making space for a pastor um, and kind of knowing a little bit about the story that there have been times that there just has been a possibility, but it's also fallen short. Can you yeah. kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, because it is hard. It asks a lot of person, um, especially as people are younger, people with families too, you know, you're, you're putting in this time and then you have to meet, if we're trying to be Jesus and we're trying to meet people where they are, where they're at on their own time. And we're in a community with busy families. And then we have single parents. We have lots of single parents working two, three jobs. And we went through this crazy thing called COVID and there's those families doing that. And like to meet with people, it's not a nine to five job. You know, I can't, I don't get to have like these pretty office hours that Oh, I'm having family night tonight. Well, I and I do. So as a pastor, you have to have your boundaries. You have to balance. But I'm also blessed to be at a time with grown children that I can have that leverage. But that's a leverage that needed to be there to flex anybody who's planting. Like you're kind of on call a lot and you're trying to develop relationships with people. And it might be eight o'clock at night at the local Coburn's grocery store in their coffee shop, you know? And so it's just, it's a lot, I think, to ask out of out of people. Um, and I'm at a, and I'm at a place in life where it's just my, it's not just my job. It'll never just be my job. Cause I love what I do. Um, but I feel like I have the capacity and I'm equipped. And at an age of my mid fifties, I have the, the wherewithal to, to have a little bit more room to do that. I think it's a lot. And I think that I get it. Why, um, some of these larger churches in our Metro, I'm not going to name any, but we know we have, these big churches that can take thousand people and put them in a new spot and do a new church plant. Right. But they have, they're equipped with leaders coming in. And this style is, is, um, it's really John Wesley style. We feel like we're circuit riding and we're going two by two on horse. Um, and we want to be missional. So 
When I said too, also, I think that leave capacity for another leader down the road, we want to be a missional church. And we know um, some of the data tells us that the kind of the, com- the size where you need to be branching out again is around 250. You know, and so how are we going to always have that next leader in sight? And then we go on to do the next church. And then this person's here. We have to, I just feel like the Bible tells us to build the cyclical model and that we're not ever mm-hmm. just looking for this nice church we're going to build in the middle of St. Michael and then we're done, you know, so... So I think that's I think that's hard on anybody. And I think, um, you know, the people I know that do go to seminary, I'm getting ready to go to a seminary this fall or this this spring. But when the people I know have been to it, um, you know, they'll say, I didn't learn this stuff in seminary. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I can tell you anything about theology and I can kind of tell you some of my fan, finance class I had 101 or whatever, but in leading people. But it is, it's hard. It's really hard. So how do we as God's people help each other and lead each other through this. And and so we want to build a model that does that. And there's models out there. We're not creating something that isn't already created. There's incredible church plant models and exponential is one that's out there. A big, a big organization does conferences and and there's just lots of good models, but trying to figure it out for us where we are is still, we're figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And so how have you been able to kind of grow the congregation? Um, You know, as you were talking about, you know, there are some big mega churches that basically they just get a whole bunch of people and start a new church. But the, a lot of that is already built in. Yes. Um, it, you are pretty much starting from scratch. So, uh, yeah. So how were you able to kind of gather a community um, together, kind of starting from zero? It was tricky and um but it also was helpful because we did we did have a family early on who was looking who had been at a church with us but was kind of in between and, and wanting to find something new and was and they were willing to hold out till we could start gathering. Mm-hmm. Um so I would say when so I, I hate to use the word churched and unchurched. So it is helpful when you can have a churched family. Um and and, and so what we have, we did it as a conference because we were actually part of it where we would go and support other churches and, and be on loan to a church. But if you're going to do that kind of church plan, you really need to be sending. You need to be a sending congregation, be willing to say, are you willing just to go and be with that church? Not just go sit there on a Sunday and be there in presence. But so I would encourage anything going forward always to have that kind of ascending church mentality and, and send people that you're willing to give up and be ascending church to help. Because it is hard when it was just Brent and I coming in as leaders. And we're still trying to equip our leaders the best way we can in our way and when they're ready. Because um, most of our people didn't come from a church and or they've been to a church when they were little kids and now they're grown and have kids and they've had that gap, right? So they've been – in our model, we use some language. It's not technical perfect, but we we have the nuns, which we know are the, the ones who have never been connected, right? Not N-U-Ns, but N-O-N-E-S. Um, um, so we, we have some of those with us. We have some who have been what I call de-churched. So maybe they went as a child, got confirmed, and have never been back. And now they're raising their kids and they want to figure this out. And then we have those with church hurt, who maybe they kind of went for a while, but then church harmed them. So so we haven't, I don't ever want to say we don't have a pool of leaders, but we have people that are still growing in their faith and want to be at a more comfortable spot before they declare, they believe that they're called to be a leader, or we point to them and say, will you lead this? You know, and we decided in this church plant, we are never going to have somebody lead just because they're a warm body. Mm-hmm. We want them to feel called. We want them to feel equipped. And we want us to call them out too. If we feel like they have gifts, they aren't, they don't, maybe don't see. I mean, there's that whole combination, but we're still in that process of figuring that out. And we have three, and I'll be honest, here's our numbers. If we have everyone show up on a Sunday, we're going to be 31 people. We meet in our house in the summers. We meet in our garage um, just to be out of the house after those Minnesota winters. Um, so we're not a big church at all. Um, but then when I meet with our, our our kind of our clusters we have in Minnesota, I'm more in the rural church areas. And there's some rural churches that have 10 a Sunday. And they like, I wish we had 30. And, and so I don't want to ever say we just have 31 if everyone showed up because I don't want that to be degrading. But it's been a process to get to that point. Um, and so because of our numbers, we want to make sure that we're equipping people, making them feel comfortable and that they're growing the way they want in their face. So we're just now getting three kind of, I have about three leaders that are growing up that are starting to walk. We do the whole, um, you know, watch me lead, you know, 
then let's lead together. You lead and then I watch you lead and we, you know, we process that in between. And so I'm excited about a couple of those just with some small studies. Um, so it's, it's hard that way. Um, and let me get back to your question because I think I went clear around Robin Dennis. I'm so sorry. Um, just, are you just, just like, how do we do that compared to those big churches? So we, we don't, but I would recommend that you, are connected to a church partner somehow and somebody that is willing to send leaders to you. And then if mm-hmm. not, it's going to take a while. And so don't give up because it is taking a lot longer than we thought, but I'm okay with it. Cause I've been in churches where I was a warm body and led things without even any guidance. And I failed and I absolutely failed. And, and, you know, Jesus did things in pairs. We didn't do things alone. And so, so that's kind of um, where we are and trying to build that up without having any of that and trying not to be discouraged because I get excited at their littlest baby steps. You know, it just, it's amazing. And really to me, the core for that is going to be discipling. If we're discipling well, we'll bring leaders out of that. And then those, they're going to bring in leaders. They're going to bring in people when they disciple people too. So. So. What do you think is, do you see that this way of planting church is kind of a way, a method that could be a future, um, I think, for church planting? Especially, I think when I see a lot of kind of more mainline Protestant churches, um, church planting has not gone well, probably, I would say, in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, yes. Um, and it seems like we're the old models that were done, which was kind of sometimes they would call it the parachute drop. Parachute in. <laughs> doesn't really work anymore. It just, you know, that was something you could do before a lot of reasons. Now you just can't, um, especially financially, you just can't. So, you know, is this a way? And are there, I mean, you know, how do churches plant new communities in this kind of different age when we don't have the the resources that we once did. But also, I think also, how do you do it and get people passionate about it? Because I think there are a lot of people that aren't passionate about it or, or they feel that it's a waste of time because they've seen so many failures happen. It is. It is hard. I can, I can totally live into how it can be discouraging because I have very dark days where um, I get anxiety. We, so we have a model that um, I need to be doing 100 contacts a month and, and get to 1,000. And when you get to 1,000 contacts, contacts, you know, it'll tell you, you know, you're going to have about 70 in public worship maybe that could be self-sustaining, right? So I, I believe the formulas. I trust the formulas. Contacts give me the biggest angst because then I know in in our church world, we're judged by how many people we have coming, who's giving, do we have enough to pay the bills on Sunday? You know, we get focused on ourselves and those broilers failing and those mechanical things in, in life, right? So how do we do this model and the with with whatever it may take to do so? And, and um. What I, what for me, what I, I think what holds me is when it's just the biblical piece of it, you know, just, just, I can't, I just can't do church without knowing that we're called. I mean, we, that's, that's the great commission, right? That we need to be making disciples and transforming the world. And so I've been in churches who've had good discipleship pathway things, but they're, but then they kind of are a program, then they end. So we don't want to, we're trying not to do programmatic type discipling, but um, just where you are, you where you're at and, um, I have a coach that writes about discipling, and I just think that's the crutch of that. And so I'm saying that because it's going to lead to my final answer, which is being in community in small groups. And um, this idea of, I don't know if you've heard of fresh expressions coming out of England. So that's where I'm kind of going with that, because I don't think we can do a model like fresh expressions, because I do worry about it being deep. I think fresh expressions can be wide. You can broadcast and have Mm -hmm. all these yoga groups doing worship or whatever you're doing. But how are we going to help people go deep? I know for our plant personally, we need to have that DNA of discipling be really strong and deep with our core and then go out and figure out this small group thing. And if it's fresh expressions model, we're going to do to be able to do that while keeping the depth. Um, and so and I and I just can't because I can't do that with always just leaning into Acts 2 and just leaning into, you know, Matthew 28 and that um and then going back to that too, like, so yeah, we can go make disciples, but we have to, how do we baptize? You know, how do we see that transformation in people? And I feel like not to judge other churches, but churches I've seen have kind of, oh, 
we put you through this, you know what it means to experience God and you know how to, how to, you know, read the Bible, do these things, but how are we really transforming community? And so um, I have an, I have to put his name out there because I have a coach that I'd love. Um, and, and Robert E. Logan, his, he goes with Bob Logan, and he's written a book called Discipleship Leaders, Leadership and is just, if that is at the core, we're going to be able to do this stuff better when we, if we do a fresh expressions model. So that takes me to the next thing. <clears throat> we're meeting in our church right now, but I think, I mean, we're meeting in our home as a church. I'm trying to do some splinter groups. I have a community women's group I do some study with, and we're trying to figure out different ways to connect with people where they are with the people we have. And um, I think that might look like fresh expressions where, and for those who, who might listen later, it's really just being in community. So if, if you're in a community and maybe you go to dog parks all the time and you see the same people there and you start building relationships with them. And how do you bring just some Bible talk, Jesus talk there? And how are you sharing scripture together? Maybe you're, you end up doing worship at the dog park weekly, or how are you just connecting with groups and doing a weekly accountability situation in community? Um, I know people have done yoga and, and groups are just, um, there's bar and Bible groups, you know, people that hang out in a bar and will do, you know, weekly and just making each other accountable on this great commission and growing people. So I feel like Dennis, I mean, I just feel like, you know, we can read all the stuff from Barna and everything. We're different because of COVID and we're going to be different. And what is church? We used to know, we know 40, 50% are coming back in person, right? But we, we, um, but people, we're just, I just feel like we're going to get there. And I know we're always about, is it about 20 years we're behind Europe? Kind of always. And Europe is kind of starting to get back into it again, right? They're, they're, you know, they were post-Christian before us. Canada's mm-hmm. been post-Christian. So, we're going there. We know we're going there, but do we have to go there? And do we have to think that we're going there? You know, because mm-hmm. if we don't, as a country, figure out how to meet people where they're at, it's not that we have people in this country that don't have a belief system and don't have the ability to, or don't want to have that hope, but how do we, we can't do it alone, you know? So how do we connect with them? So I don't know. We have to be creative. And Dennis, I don't know what that looks like, but I think what I'm trying to to share when I have my stakeholders reports and with my superiors and just say, you know, this Sunday morning group is great, but it's not going to be who we are. I don't think, you know, it's going to be one of our groups and we have to, we're going to be, and we're going to be counted that way. And I think that gone is the day of, for the, for the smaller churches and denominations, gone is the day that you're just a pastor. I think it's bivocational here on out. And and, and the studies will actually say if you're bivocational, your other vocation, that's how you're connecting to people too, right? Mm-hmm. And you're bringing in. And it's 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 hard, but um, I don't know. What what do you kind of think about that kind of stuff? I Well, I, uh, on the bivocational stuff, I totally agree. I, I and obviously I do because that's <laughs> my, my life. But, you know, financially churches can't afford mm-hmm. doing a full-time thing anymore. And I think we have to get used to that. Um, I don't, I don't think we're ready for that, at least in, in some structures. I, I think we're still thinking that um, being a pastor is going to be a full-time thing. And I've kind of long ar- argued, and of course, being married to a church musician, <laughs> I've started to think that we're going to have to see ourselves more in some ways as artists and less as professionals, because most of the church musicians that I know, that's not their full-time job. They have another job outside of that. This is their their vocation. This is what they are called to do, and they will put in the time and put in the hours um, beyond probably what they're being paid, because that's what they, they love to do is music. Um, and I think that we're going to have to do the same thing, is that there's no way... If you're going into this thinking, I'm going to be this professional, religious professional, making this much money and all this stuff, and with these, you know, duties and all that, that's like, that's nice if it were 1967. Right. That's, that's not going to work anymore. It, it's just not. And you really have to be in this because you feel called to doing it, um, which sometimes <laughs> feeling called feels a little bit like, Oh, being a little bit crazy uh, yeah. because it just doesn't 
you know, you're not doing this for the money. And I think a lot of, again, I look back at church musicians, but even musicians in general, they're not doing this for the money. They're doing this for the love of what they, they, uh, they do. Um, but I love and that I th- analogy yeah. that you said, like just the word artist, because that's how God's using our gifts. I mean, we have to figure out the art of ministry and reaching people for Christ, right? So mm-hmm. that, I love that analogy because being an artist, there's so many, I'm like, I, I, okay, I've been out of music for a while. I can't use all the technical terms, but just, you know, the tempo and your speeds are going to have to change. We're going to have to change yeah. and have that ebb and flow and change the, our loudness and our be still when we need to. and. Crescendo, decrescendo. I mean, that I just love that whole balance of thinking of us as being an artist because that's what it's it's got to be to figure it out and, and to create this beautiful orchestra. It's got to be all of that. And what a good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. And, but you know, and it, it's something that I've had to to learn and to to realize that I think it's just this it's, is who we are, and that's not a. It's not a bad thing, and I think sometimes we we do we because I think the the church, especially, we've been so formed in one way of how you're being a pastor. Um, and I, I will probably we preface this. I think it's especially how we've been formed, especially in in mostly I would say kind of white churches, because I think right. in churches, non-white churches, this has probably been the norm. <laughs> forever. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, you know, for me growing up where I did it back in Michigan, it was not unusual for a lot of pastors who were, they were pastors, but they also, and, and being where I was from in Michigan, they also worked in the auto plants. So, yes. you know, it, it's, that's where I think we're headed. And I think if you're going to do this, you got to do this f- for the sake of the call. Um, you know, that's why you got to do it. Hundred percent. That that is so true. You know, I even think of bringing my teaching background into it. You know, and in the and I know it's just it's a hard time right now for teachers too. And and teaching jobs are gonna are gonna be just if they can't fill positions either. I I know that in one of our districts they had like eighty three openings for teacher associates that paras, mm-hmm. which are those are the ones that are right with the kids, and we really need we need that profession. Um, but you know when you look at the times, and just for me being a teacher and then being on one of the largest school board districts, school boards in the, in the Metro. Um, I've seen both sides and you know, the teachers that are in it because of their gifts and want to be in it. You're never, there's other ones you're never going to hear complain about their salary because they know they went into it because of their heart and who they are and they want to do it. And, you know, just, I, I wonder if this time that we're in too, this is where the real artists are going to spring up because people are going to know, like, why do I want to go into ministry and I'm going to have a church of how many and where, you know, if they're a financial person, they're not going to want to pursue it. But the people with the gifts will rise up, and maybe it's going to take that creative funneling through of people to really, really help the church rise up here in America again and more so. Yeah. So one of the things that I found interesting is he said that this you started the church about three, four years ago. Yep. So, of course, that does take you through COVID. So how was it trying to plan a church in that time, it was creepy, hard, whatever. And I say the word creepy because I still was trying to meet with people online. Mm-hmm. But then, how do you invite someone? You know, we meet in our home, <laughs> and they're like, "What?" Wait, because you use the example of the white church, and I'm out here in a very white area, right? And even though we have a high millennial population, what we're finding out they aren't truly typical millennials in this culture that we're in out here, because I think of the high tradition of perhaps the Catholic church out here, there's still that traditional model that church is this thing you go to once a week, you show up, you kind of try to wear your Sunday best. Cause I do the whole casual thing too on Sundays. And sometimes I feel like I'm underdressed compared to those, not, not with our group at all, but I mean, I, I feel like I could probably dress better sometimes, but you know, I just, I feel like, um, I feel like it was creepy in that sense. Like who, they're gonna think I'm a cult. Like who am I? So we had just started. So we've been like seven years in the process of we had to present a process, a model, you know, kind of work with the conference. We didn't really start meeting till 20, 20, um, 2019 was when we started really meeting in person. And then mm-hmm. um, we are here's what I will say. So we are leaning into a ch- very successful church in our in the Dakotas. And so we consider ourselves a network church. And so a lot of the really bigger churches now will have multi-sites. So they'll have campuses, right? 
And then they'll also have network churches. And those are ones that would stream in live during their worship. So I want to share that we are doing that. I will give a message like once a quarter because we do try to stick with their series and their themes. And we we partner with them. So we are a network of Embrace Church out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They're one of our um, fastest growing, largest um, churches in the Midwest besides Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. So, and they're both led by Adams. We have Adam Hamilton in Kansas City and we have Adam Weber in Sioux Falls. And um, so Embrace has three campuses there. And then we have, we were one of the first kind of tier of their network churches. So we're blessed in that I, we can stream in on Sundays live and mm-hmm. they know we're there. We, we um, worship with them, but it gives me more time in community and with people. So I can be doing the people work and I don't spend 10 hours a week on preparing a message because I'm only part time. And then that definitely puts a dent into trying to reach new people for us. So, so given that for a background, um, we were able to use that. We figured out how to stream them in through COVID and we didn't go, we only had, I'm trying to think, we were lucky if we had five or six our first Sundays, like before COVID. Okay. Um, and I can't remember if that's even counting kids or not, but we might have been counting kids. Um, not that we don't count kids, but we, we kind of count families and units is, is kind of our goal. Um, so we were that, and then um, and then COVID hit, and then we couldn't go live because we were streaming in somebody else live, and then we didn't want to go with their live streams because then our people get lost because they'd have hundreds watching, you know, thousand watching, and then it, our people wanted to talk during worship and be in the messaging. So we did Zoom. And we just we just had our screens on because we were small enough, and we saw each other every single Sunday throughout COVID, and we had time to talk to each other, and we turned off the mics when we sang because you know what that's like on Zoom to sing together, probably, <laughs> or your husband 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 may know so too. <laughs> um, so we had that blessing because we were so small, we could stay so connected, and mm. even with our youth, we could just be on Zoom together and not have to just be in the messaging, you know. Um, so what happened was, though, we were like, well, how are we going to figure this out? And then we were kind of coming off our special needs ministry, not meeting in person, but trying to keep a private Facebook group for that where we could still connect and lean into each other. And what we were hearing in community through our, well, actually, our St. Michael Community bullet, Bulletin Board, not for our church, but our town bulletin board, made KS95 all the time for comedy. Literally, like they would take posts and comments because... You know, it was small town talk of people complaining about silly, fun things. But that's where you learn about your community during COVID is through that chat group. So um, just hearing people needing to figure out how to be connected and not just the special needs community. We have working families who we didn't know about in our community. We have a high um, telecommuter population in St. Michael, which I did not know that till we did the research. Well, they cover up those that are the ones that were essential workers, the single parents that were going to two, three jobs because they still had to, trying to have online learning for their kids who were in daycare. And daycares were not, you know, they were open the best they could. But they were not doing school during the day. So the parent gets home. They're trying to do their kids' schoolwork and exhausted and still has another job. And so we started hearing this on the message boards in town. Um, so we just did a, a group. It didn't get really big. I think we had at the most, we had 65 people on it. But I just opened up a St. Michael Community um, Education Resource Group. I can't remember what we called it because I just just shut it down after I made sure everybody had what they needed. Um, so that was the purpose of that was this thing of clustering started during COVID where families who were working were trying to find each other and say, hey, if you work from home these hours, can my kids... Can you Zoom with them or know they're doing their work? Or can they even come to your house mm. while I'm working? So families trying to share, like working families, we saw that kind of going on on the message board. So I just wanted to be a digital connection to organize that a little bit. And it failed. So we never got it organized to be that. We had seven families that connected and were able to do that of the 60. But in my perfect type A, want everything perfect personality that I am, I wanted everyone to be connected and be able to be having someone care for their kids when they were working and all of that. But what happened out of that is we, I got to see people help each other in different ways, like if it was doing errands. And so then it kind of, we're winding down through COVID and then we did gain a family. So I had 60 people on there that were working with each other. I had a family with someone with special needs and who was on the autism spectrum, who was having issues with her daughter being able to learn online and then it, and then she knew I had kids in the spectrum and we did a special needs ministry. So we connected to, to one person and that one family gave us juice and life. And I was so excited. So mm. by 
December, by November of 2019, we had gained a family of, actually their grandma lives with them. So we gained a family of four, um, a mom, her mother, and her two kids. And so from going from five or six at the beginning of 2019, um, we started that thing when COVID hit in 2020. And then um, by, you know, middle 2020, we doubled. <laughs> wow. So, okay, five to 10, 11, 12, right? So, that, so that, so Brent's, you know, my husband Brent will say, you can't use those st- statistics. That is not fair. You're not going out there saying we grew 50% during COVID, but we kind of did. <laughs> you know how, you know how pastors count their numbers, right? A little bit of plus one, plus two. But we, but actually, that was, I think, enough juice. That family blessed us so much because they offered so much and they were so back into their faith new, had all these questions that, I just love being able to engage with and to um, just see someone grow in their faith and still grow and connect with both her and her mom and her children. I mean, it's just, it's just been so fun to have them. And so that family and I, I share with them privately, they were our juice. And then from there on, we just kind of trickled in. So we are at, so 2019, we were at 10, um, 10 people and now we're at 31. But here's the thing we found our average attendance, like everybody else is down now this last year. So we were all high and mighty excited that we were all connected through 2022, but you know, we're back in the swing of life in 2023. Mm-hmm. And um, the cool thing is though, everyone stays connected every week. People text, you know, Hey, I'm not going to be there Sunday, but this, and I'll be, so we are so connected and growing still, but um, it was really just trying to figure out what the community was. They already had the gifts. I shouldn't say we, I don't want to do a needs based approach in community, always an asset based approach. And we were hearing in the, bulletin boards. People were trying to figure out how to connect. They just needed a glue. We glued 60 people. They figured it out on their own. No work of me. And then we just, we gained a family who really was looking through that. So that's how we did COVID. Did I answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We grew. I don't brag about it except to you and whoever might listen to this podcast because my husband Brent is like, eh, eh, you know what? We're all doing this and it's not a boasting thing and God's working through people. It's not, you know, it's a God thing, what we're doing. So but we're plateauing because people are busy again, right? They're staying connected. So now we're figuring out how do we meet them? You know, are we doing this coffee at six o'clock on Saturday morning in a group? I don't know. So, you know, I think that's interesting about the whole connection thing because um, we have people who they're not always there every Sunday. And, and the church that I serve is we have smaller numbers than you do. And, but there is a connection um there and you know they'll people will say hey i'm not going to be here but you know i'll I'll be checking in online or and mm-hmm. it's been interesting to see that and um i think as a pastor i've had to kind of learn that there are different ways of how we're being community because you're just so socialized into the, the the sunday morning worship right that it's hard to see well, people are connecting this way, and they're they're connecting in that way. They're they're, you know, I do a lot of texting of people, um, and they they contact me at, um, as well, and so um, that seems to work. Yes. And so I've it's just weird. I think especially post COVID that you've had to learn to do ministry in a very different way. And, and that's, that's at least personally, it's been hard, but I've mm-hmm. had to come to see that is where, where it's happening and um, to kind of try to appreciate that too. You know, in our planting work too, though, Dennis, I'll say, I feel like I've been blessed though, being equipped through the Minnesota annual conference. Um, we have a planting cohort, which is all the Dakotas, and we have met consistently through COVID. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we read, but we do we do what cohorts do. We read books, we study, we you know we analyze, we say what can we be doing better, and 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 all that stuff. But if I didn't have that too through COVID to keep ideas going, you know, and even though it was book after book or whatever we're doing at the time, just to keep things fresh, because if you're out there alone on a silo, you know, it's just how do you how do you encourage able able to encourage yourself or to know that you can still do this and still call to do this. And so I think us as pastors not only need to have um, you know, be connecting our people, but we need to connect ourselves to our peers and even mm-hmm. in other denominations. Because um and that's one thing I think the disciples of Christ do so well. 
the United Methodists will brag about ecumenical stuff, but you know, I think the disciples really do in their heart, at their root, like to be in community and do the economical stuff and, and reach each other. And um, I think Methodists, we say we do what we can always be doing better. And, you know, we just, you need that for each other. I don't know, you know, I don't know where, I know, I know your particular situation. I know that a lot of the disciples of Christ are in Iowa and South, you know, the farther North we get, it's, your connections are less for you, you know, and so I'm I'm hoping that you know, and I love that you and I can get together when we do and just talk, but that's far and few in between. You know, I think we need to see each other more than we do. And um, you just got to have that camaraderie to encourage each other in Christ, too, as a peer. Yeah. So if someone is feeling, let me say that they've also feel that nudge to plant a church and maybe they are ordained, but maybe they're not. Um, what advice would you give them? I would say do it. So. Um, we, we, so we as United Methodists in the Minnesota annual conference are going through, um, the whole fresh expressions things the last couple of years. And it's, it's kind of in, in our forecast as we go. And it's been a part of our planting. And, um, I will, I like it and I don't like it because I, like I said, I want to worry about the depth. And, um, mm. but when you look at those types of models, it really is having a culture of blessing and sending and, but making sure you're having people that, the Methodists will come out of me then and say, do no harm. Like making sure you're having people that want to do stuff where they're at and, and cause no harm. Um, I, I have someone who is very connected to like the CrossFit community and all that stuff here and in town and knows everybody. And I'm just watching her because I see her, her and I've had a few conversations, but I don't think she's quite sees it in herself yet, but I see her as the next person. She's, she's not ordained. She's not licensed local pastor. She's not anything, but I'm going to tell you, um, my my gal has I'll say Nikki. I'm gonna tell Nikki because I'll tell her I talked about her. She doesn't care. Um, Nikki's got a gift that she she can reach people I'm never gonna be able to reach because of her her um, sphere and who she connects with. And I have to rely on her. So I want to bless her and just say go and like Nikki. You know you've done this with me and just how do you start talking your God story? And so I think that's the hardest thing in this culture is Christians are becoming so despised and disliked and in some cases hated. Um, how do you, how do you help someone who is newer in Christ and growing Christ feel comfortable sharing their faith story mm-hmm. and without sound like, sound like they're preaching at somebody and, but just have these little conversations or just, or anything. And, and um, that particular person, I will tell you, um, we always pray for our five on Sundays. And we haven't for the last couple. So now if someone, one of my our people watch this, they're going to yell at me because we try to leave an empty chair every Sunday and we pray for the, our, our five. Who are the five people we know that are not connected to a faith community or have a relationship with Jesus? And we pray for them all the time. And we want to pray for that next five. And then, um, and Nikki's done that. Nikki prays for the next five. She's reaching for that next five and in a way that I could never do. Mm. Nikki, Nikki's just got, she. I just, I can't describe it. So... And, and and Nikki will tell you she doesn't she'll say like well I, I don't always have the good language to do that you know and I say but I'm like Nikki you're gonna connect to the people that I can't I need you to do that I need you to have that language and so I think it's anybody can do it and I just what do we call a church I mean the disciples weren't ordained right I mean so so um so especially in this next culture we're going to have to have a lot of those a lot of mm-hmm. nikki's a lot of people that don't have to have that that can go out there and then bring them in like what i would what i would see in in i don't know in my version of fresh expressions i would love to have all of our people doing something like that and then let's gather once a month Let, let's do corporate worship once a month you know let's meet at the park or let's do it in our garage or maybe we're finally renting the city hall or st michael elementary you know i don't know what do you what do you think about that I think that, that you've got it right. I think that it's, you know, again, I, I sometimes wonder, will worship and how we do things is going to be different and how we connect is going to be different. Um, I think one of the things that I'm also kind of figuring out is that we're going to need people that have different gifts. Um, you know, I think there are people who are, are great pastors, but they may not be great evangelists. And <laughs> right. And we need both. Mm-hmm. And I think and especially I think in mainline churches, we're gonna need a lot of evangelists. And I know that that brings mm-hmm. up a lot of fear because of people who've done it really crappy. Um <laughs> but 
I think that we're also, that's also being called out to do that. And there are ways that you can do it that aren't that, you know, you don't have to be a jerk about it. Right. And, and so having someone that wants to, to do things with through CrossFit and um, be able to kind of share who they are and the good news that way, I think that we're going to need more of that. And, you know, I think in, in role, my role as a pastor is to help people to be those type of people that they mm-hmm. can go out and, and share um, and to kind of help to connect them. And, and, and it's not that the corporate worship doesn't matter. Right. But I think it's going to be a very different way because I think we're in a different society. And um, I think it was kind of cool what you said about the whole you know, Europe and Canada, they've kind of gone towards more of a post-Christian society and that we're becoming in some ways more secular, but that doesn't have to, we don't necessarily have to go that route. I don't think that we're ever going to go back to what we were in the fifties and sixties, but I don't think we also have to go back, go to a post-Christian route either. I just think that it means that the church is going to be different. And so we have to find ways of how do we, be church in a very different culture and it and 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 accept that it's not going to be the way that it, it was and i can well, tell you that's going to be hard mm-hmm. it may come back again I've, I've been in a couple interesting conversations with someone who i i kind of see as a mentor she probably doesn't know that i see her that way i, I should express that um you know, but she's like even when we were starting in our conference doing the fresh expression stuff she's like oh we did this kind of stuff in the late nineties, you know, here we go again. You know, like, like education, we go through these cycles, right? We're going to try mm-hmm. this new thing. We do it for a couple of years and then boom, it's gone. We, or we put it to the side, right? We, we try all these things, but we never bring it to full fruition and see what it looks like. And so um, she wasn't challenging us looking at fresh expressions models the way we are as a denomination, but um, she was, she was like, I still think though, there is something there for just people wanting to have that not a high church feel, but but our young people, as they, we go through this next generation, we're, she feels like we're going to come back to this tide where people need that, some type of corporate thing, corporate worship. And I, because I told her, I feel that out here where we mm-hmm. have a huge, and actually I said 80% of our, our demographics right now in the St. Michael community is the school age, but also we have 80% that are not going to church. So they're de-churched nuns or they're a combination of all of that, right? But yet when you talk to people, they still have a reverence about church that they see it as. Hmm. And they they speak of it as like, so it's like, but it's like, how do we bring down that hole? You don't have to be perfect to come through that door. You know, it's it's like, how do we get to the middle of that where there's some of that reverence they want, they kind of talk about, they want or look at it as, but a balance. I'm just curious what that's going to look like too. Because I, 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 I can see it's doing this whole model of being in community, church looking different, small groups, these things everywhere. Not small groups. That's not the word now anymore. But, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, Even though it's mm-hmm. going to look different, I wonder if there's something there still a little bit traditional that I don't know. The people are going to seek later too. I think so. That. But we. I wish we could look ahead in a magic ball, right? <laughs> so. Well, but that's going to be the fun thing. Is what will it turn out to be? Right. Um, right. And we don't know. But, but people like you, fun. Dennis, are still so passionate, and you have. I have seen you from trying to church plant. You have changed buildings. You've worked with changing congregations. You're multi-generational. I mean, you've kind of got an experience that like I need. I mean, other other people are going to need. So we, we have to also just figure out how we're doing this all together too. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have lots of expertise to lend to many of us. <laughs> well, and thank stayed you. in it. You stayed in it. Like, I don't know how many times I would have wanted to give up with a lot of my friends who've been in it as long as you have, you know, just... Yeah, and I'm just in my mid fifties, fifties starting this journey. So I don't know. Well, Laura, thank you for taking the time to chat. This has been a great conversation. I think and I'm hoping it will be of of I think inspiration to others. Um especially that it, it, it's you don't have to have a, a degree, a <laughs> seminary degree to plan a new church. What you just need is is the call from God. Right, um, right. So thank you for that. Yes. Well, thank you. And I've enjoyed seeing you again, and I, and I appreciate this time. All right. Take care.
Well, I want to thank Laura for taking the time to be interviewed, and I really do hope to have her back on the show in the near future. I'm going to put the links to um, St. Michael Community Church and also to that report um, from Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church um, in the show notes for you to look at. Now, I want to say thanks. Um, there was someone who recently uh, signed up for a paid subscription, and I want to say to that person, thank you very much. It means a lot, and it does help defray some of the costs of um, making this show available. Now, you, anyone, can become a paid subscriber for $60 a year, 5 bucks a month, and you can do that by going to churchinmain.substack.com. Now, just a note that I don't put anything behind a paywall, um, at least at this time. Um, and I do that really just because I don't make a whole lot of money as a pastor. And it's and I do pay for some subscriptions on Substack, but you can't pay for everything. And that all adds up. And I think it's hard when you're reading something or maybe wanting to listen to something that's really good. And, you know, the paywall goes up. and that means that there's a good article or a good podcast you can't listen to because you can't afford every Substack subscription. So if you are able to sign up for a paid subscription, that is great, wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. But know that if you can't, if you aren't able to 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 donate in that way, know that you're going to still be able to listen to all the ep- new episodes. So... And if you want to, um, again, know more and to subscribe, whether you want to do be a paid subscriber or a free subscriber, uh, uh, go to churchandmain, all one word, dot substack, dot com. So that is it for this episode of Church in Maine, episode 153. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Godspeed. And I will see you very soon. <music>